Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. This week in Revolt Black News, we asked what's going on in Washington. Now, not because we want a front seat for the political theater or because we really believe that America has our people's best interest at heart, but because Washington is indeed where a lot goes down. And listen, y'all, if we want more COVID relief, more transparency from what really went down with the insurrection on January 6th, or hell, if we want any semblance of reprieve on the grand level, we have got to remember that America is still at least partly a representative democracy. So yes, y'all, we can and should keep hitting the streets, but we must also hit the ballot box even harder than before. Because see, we have to make sure that we're controlling who is elected to make decisions on behalf of our people, because those people represent us and our democracy. And when we do that, I assure you that is no political theater at all. Instead, it sets a stage for progress. And that is something we should all want a front seat to. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now y'all, there's a whole lot going down in Washington. So we thought we'd start things off today with somebody who's vying for a seat in the United States Congress. She's a former Cleveland City Council member and a former Ohio State Senator. Right now, she's running in Ohio's 11th Congressional District Special Election. Welcome to the show, Ms. Nina Turner. Thanks, Ebony, great to join you. Great to join uh, and be with you in conversation, Nina. So let's start with why uh, there's a special election going on in the 11th district. We know uh, that the great Marsha Fudge resigned from that very seat that you're running for right now after President Biden, of course, appointed her to serve as the HUD secretary, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the relationship uh, you may or may not have with uh, Secretary Fudge and also why you decided to run for her seat. Well, you're exactly right as to why there is a vacancy, and congratulations uh, to my former congresswoman for ascending to the cabinet, and I'm sure she will do a very good job as the secretary of HUD. And so that left this seat open and a need to have it filled, and that is why there is a special election. And the election is going on right now. Early voting has already started. It started on July the 7th. And election day is on August the 3rd. As you laid out in my introduction, I certainly served this community. And half of my the Senate district that I served in as an Ohio state senator is half of the 11th congressional district. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity, if the voters elect me, to be able to serve them yet again in what I call the elected ministry. The needs are great mm. in both this district, in my state, and also this nation. And I want to continue to work to change the material conditions of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. So I'm running for this seat. I need to make change. To make change. Uh, Nia, let's talk a little bit about your uh, history already as a change maker and what the agenda you've put together for this particular congressional seat in the 11th district. I know one of your agenda points is around economic justice, and you just spoke a little bit about that. Uh, you know, we, you say that you... I guess we want the whole damn dollar. Talk to us a little bit about what that uh, entails. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we think about women still not making dollar for dollar as their male counterpart, and primarily the measure is white, the, the wages of white men, and that is true of women of all ethnic backgrounds, but especially for black women, for brown women, for indigenous women, just not making that dollar. So yes, I am often, oftentimes I was on the campaign trail when I was side by side with Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, served uh, with him both in both his presidential elections and was a national co-chair in 2020, but I would often talk about the whole damn dollar. And that is vitally important to families. I mean, when you live women, you do live families and not that every woman has children or uh, even has a spouse or a partner. However, when you lift women and especially women who do have families in that kind of traditional way, you are lifting them and their entire communities. And if we drill down a little deeper, Ebony, we know that in the black community, the overwhelming majority of those households are at least led by black women where they are the custodial parent. And you have to make sure that women are making a living wage. We can start with making sure that they're making uh, their, their whole damn dollar so that they can live a good life. And if they have children, they can live a good life too. And if they single, because we do measure everything a lot in this country by whether a woman has a child or, or has a partner or a spouse. No, women deserve to live good lives. And I just want to put a little extra on that. If they are a mother and especially a custodial parent, we know how important the success of that household is linked to and rooted to the success, the health, the well-being of that mother. And so we have to lift wages in this country. I'm also fighting for a $15 an hour minimum wage increase. And that is the floor, not the ceiling. Mm. Yeah, I grew up in that type of household myself, Nina, you know, where shout out to my mother, Gloria, me uh, raised me all by herself. Yeah, I know you did as well. So it's true what you're saying, but it's also true what you're saying that whether or not um, we have spouses or children, uh, we still deserve our own damn dollar. Quick story, I think you'll appreciate it. When I was uh, a baby lawyer practicing in North Carolina, um, I was at a, a small firm at one point in my career and my uh, boss inadvertently uh, mixed up the check with myself and my male counterpart. So imagine my surprise when I opened his check, paralegal, I was a practicing, I think third year attorney, this brother was making more than me. So I went to my boss and I said, you know, boss, what's going on here? Um, and he said, well, he has a family, Ebony. I said, no, sir. If I want to take my whole damn check and buy a bunch of Dior lip gloss or invest it in the uh, S&P 500 or whatever I choose to do, I've earned it. So I, I appreciate your point, Nina, in dispelling the fact that women have to be doing something altruistic with our money. If we've earned it, we should simply receive it. That said, you got me wanting to say hello, somebody on that one, Ebony. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm so glad you, sh you yeah. shared that story. I'm sure it has happened to many women in, in, mm -hmm. in this country where that is the case. And we got to change that. We got to change that. I know that's why you're running. As you pointed out earlier in our conversation, uh, you worked side by side uh, with Bernie Sanders in both of his presidential elections and co-chairing uh, one as well. And you are very much a loud and proud progressive candidate. And that's the perception of you. Um, I have to ask you, uh, you know, you will be working in, in a Congress alongside a very moderate uh, Joe Biden uh, in administration and then across the aisle from a very hostile GOP. How do you see that going? Uh, and if you could let us know a bit about your strategy um, for working with those dynamics. Well, my major strategy is centering the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class in the Ohio 11th district. So that makes it really clear for me what my directive is, is to lift the people who live here. Cleveland is the poorest city of its size in the United States of America. 
This district mm. covers greater Cleveland and greater Akron. About 23% of Akron residents are living in poverty as well. So my directive is clear. I'm going to sit across the table and work with anybody, whether they're conservative, progressive, or moderate, as long as they have a justice agenda that will lift the people in my district, my state, and also in this nation. Because we know that when people serve in Congress, yes, they are elected by mm. a district, but the impacts that we can and will have reverberate throughout the country and also the world. And also, Ebony, if I might, if I may, to say to our people Please. that we must stop allowing anybody to take our vote for granted, Democrat, Republican, mm -hmm. or other, that we must make a demand and get some material, something material for our mm -hmm. votes, whether we're elected or not. And that's Medicare for all, increasing the minimum wage, dealing with racial injustices, closing the racial wealth gap and income gap in this country, legalizing marijuana, decriminalizing, legalizing, and not only that, expunging records and making sure that black folks are at the front of yes. the line when it comes to owning the businesses that will cultivate that yep. marijuana in the United States of America. That's part of reparations. So I, mean, I hope we get to do this again because I got a lot of ideas, but I am committed, I as it. I always have been, to cultivating leaders who we can pass the baton to. None of us are immortal. And so yeah. legacy is about making sure other people can 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 take can take over or, or be a part of making this world a better place. Where can people go to find out more about your campaign? What can those of us that live outside of the state of Ohio, outside of your district do to support you? You can participate in this people-powered movement anywhere in the country. They can give the time, the talent, or their treasure. Just go to ninaturner.com. We have uh, seven days to go, Ebony. August the 3rd is the day, so it's not too late. If you want to be involved in the justice yeah. revolution that's happening in Ohio 11th District, go to ninaturner.com. Nina Turner, dear, thank you so much for your time, and we want to wish you the very best in your special election in the 11th District in the great state of Ohio. Listen, y'all, we've got a lot more coming up. We've got your headlines next. More Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are this week's. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Headlines. All right, we start with more updates into the assassination of former Haiti president Jovenel Moise. Now, per leaked documents obtained by CNN through the Internal Justice Ministry, a Haitian clerk assisting the investigation was sent a text message that read this. Hey, clerk, get ready for a bullet in your head. They gave you an order and you keep on doing shit. Now, this is just one of the many threats that many local clerks are receiving in the ensuing investigation. One clerk... Mushalon Valentin reportedly received a phone call that overtly threatened his very life if he would not falsify names and or witness statements. Valentin has not commented yet on these reports. Over now to South Africa. Reports are saying that state-owned logistics firm Transnet was hit by a cyber attack in its main port and they had to declare the very rare force majeure which prevents a party from liabilities and from fulfilling their contractual obligations due to external circumstances. Let's take a look. 
We have been in constant contact uh, with Transnet precisely because we are concerned. And port management seem optimistic uh, that they are close to solving the problem. And back here in the States, the January 6th House Committee hearings are underway. Several witnesses from that dark day have already started giving testimony. Let's watch. Another officer um, who was um, out there in the, um, in the fight with us, he, uh, much like myself, he had a, a large heavy object thrown and struck his head. Um, and and uh, he wasn't as lucky as me, though. He has suffered lost time from that day, and he remains still out on medical leave. Even today, he has not returned to work. But at the time, he was still fighting. And we've got an alarming update from the Gun Violence Archive. Between Saturday, July 17th, and Friday, July 23rd, here in America, there was a shooting every 10 minutes, which resulted in 1,018 shooting incidents, 928 people wounded, and at least 404 deaths. The Gun Violence Archive additionally reports that more than 24,000 souls have been taken by gun violence this year in the United States. And in COVID news, government employees in both California and New York will be required to receive the COVID-19 vaccine or be regularly tested. The Department of Veteran Affairs, however, has taken steps to go a little further. They are now requiring that all workers be vaccinated, making them the very first federal agency to do so. Department of Veteran Affairs Secretary Dennis McDonough released a statement saying this, whenever a veteran or VA employee sets foot in a VA facility, they deserve to know that we have done everything in our power to protect them from COVID-19. With this mandate, we can once again make and keep that fundamental promise. And today, President Biden announced that all federal employees and contractors are to be fully vaccinated or be regularly tested. Let's watch. Every federal government employee will be asked to attest to their vaccination status. Anyone who does not attest or is not vaccinated will be required to mask no matter where they work, test one or two times a week to see if they've, acqu they've acquired COVID, socially distance, and generally will not be allowed to travel for work. Likewise, today, <clears throat> I'm directing my administration to take steps to apply similar standards to all federal contractors. And over to Olympic news. Simone Biles, who usually stuns the world with her gymnastic performances, this time has stunned the world with her decision to withdraw from the gymnastics team finals. Biles told reporters that her reason had nothing to do with injury, rather that it was mental health, which was actually to prevent injury. Let's take a look. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not gonna enjoy your sport and you're not gonna succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are, rather than just battle through it. Salute to Bile for what she is doing because only she can determine what is best for her to perform at such an elite level. We here at Revolt Black News want to offer her our very best prayers and support. And in Olympic tennis, 
Naomi Osaka lost in the third round to Marketa Von Drusova. She was of the Czech Republic in straight sets. Now, like Biles, Osaka faced a ton of pressure of her own. She was born in Japan, where these Olympics are taking place. She also lit the Olympic torch in the opening ceremonies on a global stage. Osaka is the highest paid female athlete in the world, and we can't forget that her opponent is no slouch either. She's actually a former French Open finalist. Now, earlier this summer, we know that Osaka sat out from the French Open and Wimbledon to focus on her mental health. So again, here at Revolt Black News, y'all, we stand in complete support of Naomi Osaka and her entire journey, both on and off the court. And for anyone watching who's struggling with their own mental health journey, know that we're going to provide a resource for you at the bottom of the screen. It is critically important, y'all, to get the help that you need and deserve. You're not alone, and there's a lot of help out there. And lastly, in more sports news, former President Barack Obama has joined NBA Africa as both a strategic partner and minority owner. Now, the partnership comes with the mission to help advance NBA Africa's social responsibility efforts across the continent, also to better support greater gender equality and economic inclusion. Obama said this in a statement. By investing in communities, promoting gender equality, and cultivating the love of the game of basketball. I believe that NBA Africa can make a difference for so many of Africa's young people." End quote. We here at Revolt want to congratulate President Obama and NBA Africa on this historic partnership. And of course, it's all black excellence. All right, y'all, that's going to do it for this week's headlines. Up next, we've got Brandon Truckling, who's going to interview Dr. Chris T. Purnell about the rising cases of COVID-19 and all things variants and vaccines. So stick around for much more Revolt Black News after this. to Revolt Black News. I'm Brandon Trutling, and I'm hosting this important segment about the rise in COVID-19 cases. We're here to discuss what we must know and, of course, what we must do. So joining me is a friend of the show. She's a public health physician and a fellow at the American College of Preventative Medicine, Dr. Christy Purnell. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Good to be here. Well, we see the COVID numbers are ramping up, and cities like Los Angeles have currently reinstated its mass mandate no matter if your vaccination status. Talk to us about the current situation. Is it because of the variants or is it simply because of the unvaccinated population or both? It's both actually. This Delta variant, we know from recent studies that it is definitely more transmissible than the original strain of coronavirus. It's thought to be 50% uh, more transmissible and it's here of having a 1,000 times higher viral load in an infected person. So we're dealing with that as well as dealing with the fact that we appear to have hit a wall in our vaccinations, meaning that we still have considerable segments and portions of the population who are unvaccinated. When you combine those two things together, you see what we are experiencing now. You see the seven-day moving average for cases are back on the rise. We are above 50,000. We've been as high as 56,000, I believe. And you actually see deaths um, around the 280, almost 100 mark on a daily basis. 
So those trends are alarming. We can reverse those trends, but it's going to require a massive effort to get more people vaccinated and to consider uh, indoor masking. Dr. Purnell, we know this is certainly personal to you. You lost your father and several family members to COVID. We extend our condolences to you and your family. Obviously, this has been so challenging to you and so many others. And these experiences prompted you to be part of an early Moderna trial. And as we know, these vaccines have led to a return to a new normalcy. So for those people in the community who are still hesitant for one reason or another of getting the vaccine, what would you have them know? First and foremost, I am the daughter. I am the daughter of a beloved father who lost his life to this pandemic. This pandemic has been disproportionately devastating. Actually, there have been earthquakes of devastation in black and brown communities. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It has leveled the Black, Latino, and the Native American populations. And that motivated me. That motivated me to be a part of the COVID-19 vaccine trials. And in particular, I was a part of the Moderna trial. And I'm also a public health physician. So it is my duty, my professional duty, my oath to empower, to advocate, and to message important and critical health information to the public. And I thought I would be in the best position and most effective to do that if I demonstrated a level of accountability by participating. When I say that these vaccines are safe and effective, I'm speaking from the perspective of a public health physician. When I say that they're safe and effective, I'm speaking from the perspective of a participant. Um, I've been fully vaccinated since October of 2020. So I hope that that carries a level of transparency and authenticity with everyone when they hear the story. Now, Pfizer and Moderna are currently looking for a fall rollout of the vaccine in children's ages 5 to 12. Some of the pushback, especially from parents with younger children, is that even if they're positive for COVID, they're typically asymptomatic. And some of the support for the vaccine, of course, is that kids can still be carriers, but then kids who are in school are already required to get other vaccinations. So can you speak to the safety of the COVID vaccine in children versus the vaccine that kids are already getting? We want whole families to be safe. We want whole communities to be safe. We want whole neighborhoods to be safe. And in order to do that, our children have to be a part of that safety plan. We know that if you're 12 and older right now, you can get vaccinated. And those vaccines are safe and effective in that population. Where we have data being collected right now, and you know, the FDA has asked the, the, the pharmaceutical companies that are running these trials in the 5 to 11-year-old age range to collect more data because we want to be as comprehensive as possible. Uh, but we're not going to make anything available to children at that age, whether through emergency use authorization, which is the first step, or through full approval without the science being there. I am encouraged uh, that the science will declare a very clear and definitive answer around that. So I would say to parents, if you have a 12-year-old and older, please get that person vaccinated. You have safety on your side. If you have a younger person, Stay tuned, stay vigilant, continue to mask, and perhaps by the fall, as early as the fall, or closer to the winter and the close of the year, vaccines will be available for that age group. Right now, data is still being collected.
Is there anything you would wish to debunk? Oh, definitely. I think daily we are plagued with misinformation and disinformation, whether that's coming through social media or whether that's coming through um, certain right-wing ultra-conservative pundits or coming through friends and family. These vaccines do not cause infertility. This is a topic that I frequently talk about um, in the public space. It is a topic that obstetricians and gynecologists, their professional society has come forward on. Uh, these vaccines do not carry disproportionate or a burden of risk that's greater than the risk associated with coronavirus. Um, the risk is, is likely uh, side effects, side effects that you would experience with any flu-like illness. That's associated with the vaccine. These vaccines are not live vaccines. You are not being infected with coronavirus. And I want to speak to um, Black people in particular and to say, yes, we have to be cognizant of how medical racism, systemic racism, institutional racism has impacted health um, and has impacted how science has been used or applied, whether we're talking about historical events or we're talking about contemporary day-to-day -day defense, but that is not the case with how these vaccines were developed. So I want us to know that it is safe and effective for us in particular as well. Lastly, anything else you'd like to share to people watching? What can we do to bring those numbers down? I want everyone to understand we're all in this together. Regardless of whether or not you were vaccinated or unvaccinated, we're all in this together. And the only way we solve our way into a healthier, more prosperous future is we think about how do we keep the whole healthy? How do we keep those most at risk healthy? And the way to do that is to get vaccinated. And these vaccines are safe and effective. And to consider indoor masking. I personally have worn my mask in public indoor gatherings, especially where there are large, large public indoor gatherings. I continue to wear my mask. And I think that's a good practice for everyone, regardless of whether or not you're vaccinated. So we've got a, we've got a fight still ahead of us, but it's winnable. Dr. Purnell, friend of the show, we certainly thank you for stopping in and joining us discussing all things COVID-19. We also most certainly appreciate all of your efforts and everything that you do. All right, up next, Danielle Young joins us for this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. We'll revoke Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News, and it's time to get into all things Black and excellent. My name is Danielle Young, and I'm guest hosting this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. And with me is a very familiar face. You know and love him, I know I do. He's from both the Friend Zone podcast and Holding Court with Revolt's very own Ebony K. Williams. Welcome to the show, Dustin Ross. Hey, my love, how are you? I'm so happy to be here with you in Revolt tonight. This is my dream to be here with you tonight. So let's get into it, Dustin. It looks like congratulations are in order for media mogul Issa Rae and her longtime beau, Louis Diame. The couple tied the knot in an intimate ceremony in Nice, France, and Issa made the announcement in what many thought was a troll on her official Instagram page. First of all, congrats to the happy couple, but can we get into the surprise of it all, the privacy of it all. Dustin, what do you think? 
I love it, Danielle. It looks like Issa Rae has an Issa Bay, okay? And and for her to have been so notoriously private with her love life and to now be so public with this beautiful wedding, this beautiful celebration of black love, I am here for it. So congratulations to that beautiful, beautiful couple. Yes. Yes, and Issa looked amazing. And shout out to all the NDAs that were signed that kept it all under wraps. We love that for her. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So Star Trek star LeVar Burton took the stage as this week's guest host of Jeopardy. Now, Burton recently campaigned to take the place of longtime host Alex Trebek. And fans rallied behind Burton during COVID as he said that Jeopardy was the only game show that he's ever wanted to host. Dustin, I know you've been watching. I've definitely been watching. And my thing is this, Danielle. Who better to educate us and to give us the information that we get from Jeopardy, because yes, we do learn from watching that show, than LeVar Burton, the man who taught a lot of y'all how to read, okay? He said to take a look because it was in a book, all right? That's what he had to say. So now I think that this is a perfect place for him to land, and I'm so excited. So I want everybody to tweet, to, to hashtag him as the choice for the host, because he is definitely deserving. So yeah. It's such a great choice. We love LeVar Burton. He's such a big part of our childhood. Not only that, but he's just a good man. And it's good to see he's a good man. He's just a good man. Yeah. He's on the yeah, list, isn't him. he, Danielle? He is. Yeah. Checking off all the boxes. LeVar, keep getting the checks, yeah. honey. We'd love to see you win. Black Panther actor Winston Duke has been announced as the voice of Bruce Wayne in Spotify's new Batman Unburied podcast series. The story meets Bruce Wayne, a forensic pathologist, working in the bowels of Gotham Hospital and tasked with examining the victims of the Harvester, a gruesome serial killer preying on Gotham citizens. Not only will the superhero be forced to face his own mental demons, but he will also have to overcome them in order to save the citizens of Gotham as his alter ego Batman. No release date has been announced, but you know what? Winston Duke for the role of Batman is is a thing that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Danielle. I think that, um, first of all, the name Bruce Wayne always sounded like somebody black to me. Um, and further to that, uh, they said he worked at the hospital, you know, working at the hospital. It's just a very black situation. So I'm totally here for Winston Duke uh, taking on this role in this podcast series. I'm really excited about it. The official trailer for the highly anticipated film King Richard has been released. The film is based on an inspirational true story of Richard Williams, father of tennis stars Venus and Serena Williams. Will Smith is set to play the role of Richard and the film will be released in November. Did you happen to catch that trailer, Dustin? You know I caught it. You know I'm all about black excellence in Hollywood and I am ready for Will to get his first Oscar. Um, everything about his If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. His approach to this role uh, in screaming, I'm ready for my gold trophy, from his tone, his posture, um, just everything about it. And I really hope they include that scene where he interrupted that interview. Uh, when Venus was a little girl and he and he, he performed a little bit of straightening like the Migos like to say uh, on that reporter. So I really hope that scene is included. I'm definitely looking forward to this film. Danielle. 
Yes, Will Smith embodied this man. And like you said, that was a really powerful moment that we have all seen played mm -hmm. out in, in, in a viral clip, especially when it comes to black girls' confidence. So Richard gave yes. us what we needed, and Will Smith is still, if he's given us what we needed by holding up this role. And I think this film is going to be exactly what you said, trophy winning. So I can't wait. Yes. Good for you, Will Smith. We love to see it. And Marcus Gardley, who recently penned the upcoming Marvin Gaye biopic, What's Going On, has inked an overall deal with Amazon Studios. Gardley is a longtime playwright with an extensive TV career. And aside from the upcoming Marvin Gaye flick, he wrote the screenplay for the Color Purple musical, which is currently in pre-production at Warner Brothers. How dope is all of this news, first of all? Very dope, Danielle. I've actually been waiting on that um, Color Purple movie musical since it was announced years and years ago by Oprah Winfrey. And all I know is somebody better be dialing Fantasia's phone because if we're going to do a movie <laughs> musical, okay, for the Color Purple, then I'm going to need Sealy to be played by Fantasia Barino Taylor. So, yes, that's what I need. I'm excited. Give her her married name, honey. I would love to see Fantasia reprising her role as Seely, giving it to us like only she could. Who would you have as Marvin yes. Gaye, though? Are we thinking? Ooh. Or maybe Usher. Oh, maybe Usher. I think Usher okay. would be a great Marvin Gaye. Um, he's got, believe he's it or not, he's got it. And I think, actually, we could even throw Miguel's, you know, name in the race, too. Put Miguel in the race. Let's see what he can do. Put him in hair and makeup, and let's go. So, yeah, we got some options. We got some options out mm -hmm. there. Can't wait to see all of that unfold. And lastly, in music, Young Thug has made his NPR Tiny Desk Home Concert Series premiere. The rapper also announced his new studio album, Punk, which will be available in October. Thug premiered four new songs during his backyard set with Travis Barker on the drums. We are so looking forward to this album, right? Like Young Thug be giving us musical artiste. We are. And and one thing I like about Young Thug is his, his uh, desire to always kind of like take it to the edge, right? Um, he's been known to walk the line, do gender bending looks um, and style uh, with his team that he works with. So this is nothing new, uh, more of the same for him. And I actually look forward to it because Thugger makes good music. So I will be listening. Yes. I agree with that. And get into the pink locks, right? I'm a fan. Yeah, the pink locks. Yeah, I like that. And then it was even like the detail with the stones on the face. I was like, okay, so we're getting in our bag, our artistic bag. This artistic, time around, so. Exactly. I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. Yes, Dustin, thank you for joining me and celebrating all of this Black excellence. Let's definitely do this again soon, friend. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Love you guys, Revolt. Thank you. See you next time. All right. Up next, Ebony returns with guest Teslin Figaro and Sir Michael Singleton to break down all this week's political headlines out of Washington. More Revolt Black News after this. Revolt Black News. Now, as we've been saying all episode, there's a whole lot going on in Washington, so we brought in some expert guests to help us break it all down. Now listen, we all know and love her from the Straight Shot No Chaser podcast over at the Black Effect Network, Ms. Teslin Figaro. 
Also with us, Brother Shermichael Singleton. He is a political analyst and also the co-host over at Guns Out TV. Welcome to you both. All right, y'all, so let's go ahead and start with uh, the hearings that are going on right now in D.C. to help us all have a better understanding of the domestic terrorist incident that took place on January 6th when those terrorists uh, stormed our nation's capital. All right, y'all, now we know that Officer Harry Dunn said this. If a hitman is hired and he kills someone, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, the person who hired him does. And there was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. Tesla, I'll start with you. What do you expect, um, if any, accountability around Donald Trump and what happened on January 6th? Well, I think uh, the first level of accountability uh, Congress already did with uh, impeaching uh, Donald Trump. I uh, don't know how much further it will go unless they're able to uh, find new evidence that showed that uh, he certainly enabled uh, these terrorists to come to the Capitol, other than what we already saw, the obvious of encouraging, exciting, and asking them to go to the Capitol. But one point that I really want to bring out with Officer Dunn that's not being talked about on a lot of networks, I really enjoyed Officer Dunn telling the story from a Black perspective. Uh, when he made the comment saying that the battle was different, uh, for black officers that was incredibly important and also ebony another thing that is really uh important people had an opportunity to see what black america feels like you know being powerless uh, having uh millions or, or thousands of people if you will of officers being having to figure out how to fight through that having to wonder mm -hmm. if they're going to make it home congress folks having to wonder if they're going to see their children at night uh, as they're pushing for more funding for the capitol police which is absolutely necessary we have to still point out that while we're giving more funding, we still have to do things like pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. So I empathize with the officers, but I also hope that they empathize with the calls uh, of our community that have said we too feel powerless uh, when we are face to face uh, with uh, law enforcement. Yeah, we're definitely about to get into the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act in a second. Sure, Michael, uh, your take on uh, what we can expect reasonably to see around accountability around Trump and his per participation and leadership around what happened on January 6th. I mean, look, politically at this point, Ebony, this is all about politics. There's not much legally that can happen to the former president. And I don't expect for there to be any negative impact on the former president as most Republican mm -hmm. voters they don't see what happened January 6th the way many others do. Uh, in fact, Donald Trump's support amongst Republican voters is still pretty high. Iowa straw poll, he won above 70%. And so from their perspective, outside of wanting to hold individuals accountable, I do believe they actually do believe that that is their job to do. I also think they're looking at the politics of this, trying to figure out how do they maneuver and move the needle into their corner. So I think at this point, it's all about the politics. Please go ahead, respond to us. Yeah, um, so respectfully uh, to Sir Michael, I do think it's a little bit disingenuous to say that it's just all about the optics. Uh, although I do agree that it is certainly always a part of political strategy, everything is in politics, uh, it is important to point out uh, that hundreds of folks have still not been arrested. It is important to figure out who organized on the outside, uh, who drove the buses, who drove the cars, who organized mm -hmm. to uh, bring weapons. And then finally, uh, it's important that those officers had a chance to tell their story. 
Uh, I think it's just a little bit uh, disingenuous to those officers uh, that should have had an opportunity uh, to be able to tell. I was sitting directly behind uh, George Floyd's brother uh, when we went to Congress to speak to them about his story. And many Republicans thought that was about the optics, but it wasn't. It was really about putting it on the record, on the table, on what exactly happened and how those folks were impacted. And that's certainly more than just optics. As I did state, I do believe many probably believe they have an obligation to hold individuals accountable. However, if they don't have control of the House, that's irrelevant. I'm just being honest here. And optics are important. Optics are how you target voters. Optics are how you mobilize voters. Optics are how you say to voters, we need to coalesce you around a given issue in order for us to maintain control or to gain power. Yeah, I, I agree with all that what you said. I'm just simply taking, you know, what you said verbatim, that it's just about the optics. Uh, Y'all, let's wrap it up and talk about what Teslin brought up in the first segment, which is uh, what's going on with this George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I mean, it is just sitting there, sitting there, um, stalled out, unacceptable on every measure. We know President Biden said when he went into office how, how happy he was and grateful he was to the black community um, for putting him over the line. And yet, of course, we see that the Floyd uh, Justice Policing Act is still sitting there. What would you, uh, who does this work so intimately, what do you recommend we as the culture do um, at this point? Uh, is there an indictment around 2022? Wh where would you have us go politically? Well, not only did uh, President Biden show gratitude to black people, he said, quote, in unquote, I owe you. Uh, as you know, I work with the George Floyd family and have been for the last year and the audacity uh, to not even even give an update on where we are, not even just with the uh, anti-Asian bill, not having something similar uh, for the black community, but making comments like America's not a racist country uh, by going to Juneteenth and not even bringing a gift card for the three survivors uh, from telling black leaders in January that you need to line up with the Hispanic community uh, because they are the future and uh, I will not be signing executive orders. Uh, there has been fumble after fumble after fumble and then the audacity to introduce Crime Bill 2.0 uh, and still not do anything about criminality going on in the police department. So it should be a referendum, but I don't know if it will be, but I know like hell I'll be pushing for it to be for sure in 2022 and 2024. Pushing the line as always, Ms. Teslin. Sure, Michael, your thoughts on Joe Biden's overpromise to the black community, his underdelivery, and what could or should be the political consequence. And, and would that political consequence, sure, Michael, have its own consequence to black uh, community? I mean, I'm not surprised by this. I hate to have a smirk, but it, it's like, what in the hell do people expect? I just have to be honest here. Um, I mean, you, you looked at Joe Biden's tone throughout since he's been president, and it just hasn't been, in my opinion, one of gratitude. I mean, people have to remember here, if it wasn't for black people, particularly older black people in South Carolina, there would not be a Joe Biden in the White House right now. There would not be a Vice President Kamala Harris right now. And, and I do find it to be ironic that there was an Asian hate bill passed and nothing against that. I think discrimination against any group based on race mm -hmm. orientation, it's just wrong. We shouldn't tolerate mm -hmm. it. But you see this perpetual cycle, whether it's from the left, whether it's from the right, of the issues of African-Americans always having to come last. And that's something, you know, for me as a conservative, I've, and you know this, Ebony, well, I've always tried to push Republicans on this. Clearly, they don't, you know, they've yes, missed yeah. the ball a whole lot. Uh, Democrats sometimes talk a good game, but game isn't enough. We, we, we need actual results here. We have to ask ourselves as a community, 
How do we hold Democrats accountable, just as we would say the same to Republicans? Quite frankly, it's frustrating because, you know, you've got an, uh, a Democrat party that for generations has taken black support and voters for granted. But then you have a Republican party, and I don't know that you'll disagree with this, Sean Michael, that is done even worse by the black community. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like a, a zero-sum game, a losing proposition across the board. Good God, if Republicans acted like they gave half a shit, you know? I think that, that the Republicans, and we've had this conversation offline, sure, Michael, Republicans would be greatly surprised, perhaps, by the number of kind of value system place conservatives that black people would show up for them. But they will cut off their nose to spite their face every single time. Um, I will say this in closing, someone that has not been talked about and held accountable enough to me is my good sore Kamala Harris. The silence from Kamala Harris as it relates to the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is deafening. Um, and I'll give you both a, a, an opportunity to just respond to that in closing. I mean, you know, I, I wrote a column or maybe two columns about some of my concerns about her as Attorney General in California, particularly as it pertained to black men. And, you know, I, I sort of I talked to a lot of my former Morehouse brothers about this, Ebony, and there really does appear to be like almost this war on black men in general. Either we're overly criminalized or the great aspects or good aspects of us and the contributions we make to society or hell, even our own community are just completely ignored. And so you would expect this individual who, you know, looks like us, claims to be black, went to Howard University and AKA Come on to now, be at the White House constantly advocating for these things, saying to the president, this is a priority for African-Americans. We need to talk about it more. Economics, we need to talk about it more. Education, we need to talk about it more. Transportation, we need to talk about it more. Housing, I mean, I can go down the list of policy issues that from my perspective, when I look at the administration, I'm just wondering what direction are you guys actually going as far as prioritizing the only community that helped you guys get to the White House? You wouldn't be there again if it were not for black people. You can't forget that. And if the woman who is black isn't advocating for us and she's there, well, who in the hell else is? Uh, black folks have to get a strategy uh, to be able to negotiate uh, their vote with more leverage. Until we get that mm -hmm. together and understand how we need to move, uh, we're going to continue to see the same. As always, thank you both so much for your time and for really helping us understand what's going on right now in Washington. We appreciate you both. All right, y'all, now with everything that's going on right now in our nation's capital, it's critically important that we take a step back and we ask, what can we do? Actually, what we need to ask is what can we do again? Because let's remember that exercising our right to vote, which we saw the very powerful and deep correlated effects of in both the 2020 general election and the Georgia runoff. So listen, we didn't just turn the tide then, we were the tide. And now we need to do it again. For any of you still wondering whether or not our vote matters, just ask yourself this, if it didn't matter, would they be working so hard to suppress us? Listen, what we know is we will not suppress ourselves. So listen, we're gonna keep up the momentum and keep our foot on the gas. Y'all, this midterm election for 2022 is coming up before we know it. So right now, there's a link at the bottom of your screen. We want you to register to vote if you haven't already. And when we ask next time what's going on in Washington, maybe you'll already know the answer. Now listen, maybe you already had the answer today, but now you've got a few more questions. And that's why this shit is so important. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.
If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.